Dear Lord, please make me like the beautiful stained glass in this sanctuary that through me we would better hear and see your words and your will. Amen. So it's a wonderful thing that we are studying about Jesus as a teacher in all of his giftedness as a teacher today on the first day that we welcomed our children and our youth back to Sunday school. Jesus was remarkable in his teaching. And when I think about Jesus, I think about his time here on earth where he welcomed the outcast, he healed the sick, he created any number of miracles, starting with turning water into wine, he walked on water, he calmed the seas, and all of those miracles impacted the people to whom he granted them in life-altering ways. And I'm sure they were also transformative in the minds and hearts of those who wrote the gospel for us. However, I would contend that the most lasting impact that Jesus has that has lasted throughout the millennia and come down over the years, touching billions of people, both Christians and non-Christians alike, are his teachings. Those teachings have transformed the world. And Jesus was a master teacher. It's noteworthy that when we look at the story that's retold today, Rhodes read it from the Gospel of Luke, you can also see it in the book of Matthew, that Jesus actually responds to his disciples' question. For those of you who are students of the Bible like myself, oftentimes when Jesus is asked a question, he answers with another question. Or he shares a parable, and people have to connect the dots. In this case, and actually I have some numbers to share with you. I did not count these up, but the local scholars did. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there are 183 instances of Jesus being asked questions, and he answers directly less than 10% of those questions. So when he answers this question directly, it makes me perk up my ears and want to listen and pay attention. Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. So when I'm hearkening back to my excitement about today being the first day of Sunday school, and just want to take a moment to recognize Alicia and all of our wonderful, fabulous Sunday school teachers this morning. Um, I would like to share with you all one of my earliest memories of Sunday school. I was in either first or second grade, and I distinctly remember my dad, who was my Sunday school teacher, painstakingly writing out the Lord's Prayer on an oversized sheet of lined paper with thick black Sharpie marker to use it as a teaching tool as he taught me and my classmates the Lord's Prayer. I can still see it in my mind's eye. One of those striking memories. When I learned the Lord's Prayer, I learned it using the words our Father. As a woman, I want to thank the members of the United Parish of Brookline 
for the amazing work that you all have done around inclusive language. Having myself grown up in a rather conservative Presbyterian Midwestern church, I received the message as a young girl that women were not supposed to be preaching, women were not supposed to be in leadership. So I think that the work that you've done is nothing short of transformative. And I love the way that the United Parish of Brookline affirms everyone as who they are called to be. I also would respectfully like us to look at the way that we start the Lord's Prayer in the United Parish of Brookline with the words, Our Creator. What I like about the words, Our Creator, is that there's a certain majesty that comes with Our Creator. It causes us to humble ourselves as beings who were created by a power that is great and mighty, but it's also a little distant feeling to me. And the threat of a word like creator is it sounds a little bit like someone who spoke in the past tense and created in the past tense, and there's all kinds of worries about sort of a clockmaker God, right? I like it. Thank you for participating. You all are part Baptist, so I want to hear some amens at some point. So I really appreciate a lot of things about the word, our creator. And this is a good name for God. There are lots of names for God in the Bible, right? There's the first person who names God, Adonai Elroy, is of course Hagar. And then God names himself the great I am. Uh, God is called Jehovah. God is called Yahweh. And I think that all of this is great, and there are lots of good things that we could call God. So what I'm going to talk about today is what Jesus is teaching us when God is called our Father or our parent. When Jesus calls God our Father, Abba, I recognize that that word is problematic for a lot of people. First of all, it assigns a gender to God, which is just kind of strange, right? Secondly, there are people who have had really problematic and scarring relationships with a father figure in their life, and they don't want to equate God with that sort of thing, and I recognize that. And even those of us who had good dads, and you know, I will also say hello to my parents who are probably watching from Illinois, um, you know, my dad would be the first to tell you that he falls very short of God's perfect divinity. But the nice thing about God, Abba, Father, Mother, Parent is that it invites me to come to prayer as a child. I also want to encourage us to, if we have any problem with, with the thought of father, mother, parent, I want to to um, remind us of the way that Jesus talked about God as the father of the prodigal son. You all remember that story? So in that story, Jesus characterizes God as someone who will let the child go away and have freedom of choice, but who will welcome that child back and not just 
say, oh, I'm glad you came back, I told you so, but welcome that child back, seeing that child from a long way off, opening arms and not walking toward them, but running toward them and kissing them. That's the kind of parent image that God has when Jesus characterizes God. So by recognizing God as my parent, someone who lavishes love upon me, and this has been a journey for me. This is something that I had to learn. I had to unlearn my conservative background and learn that God was a God of love. By teaching us to pray with the words, our Father, Jesus puts us in the position of a child. And just like the children we welcomed to our Sunday school classrooms today, I can be like a child, unbothered by convention. I can be unselfconscious. Children are free from the worries that we as adults have, especially about prayer. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray because they wanted a relationship with God like the ones that they saw Jesus had with God. And they wanted to be sure that they prayed correctly. As my sons learned to speak, they each had little foibles and things that were unique about the way they learned to talk. My oldest son, Nathaniel, um, spoke with a lisp when he was little. So when I was expecting his, his little brother, and this was around the year 2000 when a certain movie was popular, he said, Mom, I think you should learn the baby's pauses. He called my sister Aunt Cheryl. And then Will here, who I hope I don't embarrass, Will, up until he was actually in elementary school, had a funny way of making his verbs past tense. So he would say, we walked to school today, and we runned in the gym. And he would emphasize that heavy ED and not to leave anyone out, I also want to embarrass Rhodes a little bit and um, share a, a cute story about him. Whenever we would watch a Disney movie and the opening credits would come with the picture of Cinderella's castle, and you can picture this in your head if you've watched enough Disney movies, he would shout out with glee, we go there? And Jeff and I thought it was so cute until he stopped, and there was this sad little bittersweet moment when you realize the world has come and crashed down upon your child, and they now have that self-consciousness that all of us share, and that innocence is gone. That honest communication that just says what they're feeling is tampered down. So I think when Jesus talks to us and says, come to prayer as a child, Jesus is inviting us to have honest conversation, to not tamper down what we want to say, to not worry about political correctness and the right way and the wrong way to say something, but to simply express to God what is in our heart. In my own faith story, I remember that my childlike prayers were like conversations with God. And they were kind of constant talking to God in my head, especially when I was outside and I felt like there was nothing separating me from my conception of God. But I did go through a stage as a teenager, 
and the boys will tell you I'm not perfect. When I, I was studying the Bible and I took Matthew 6, 8 a little too seriously, and that is the verse that says, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. And I thought, hmm, what does that mean? Do we not need to pray? Why should we pray if God already knows everything that we need? If God's intuiting what we need, then I shouldn't have to ask. To me, it made prayer seem redundant, and I'm not the type of person who wants to talk just to hear myself talk. At least most people would say that. Um, but God knew my thoughts and feelings, so my interpretation of Matthew 6, 8 really stifled my prayer and my prayer life until I came to understand a few things. First of all, I've come to understand that one of the reasons that I think Jesus instructed us to pray is so that we dedicate time each day to show deference to God. For someone like me, who likes to have a plan and a sense of control, acknowledging that I am not in control and that ultimately it is God's will that should and will be done, actually gives me a feeling of freedom. It's like, wow, I don't have to worry about all of these things. I am simply one person. God has this in control. So I don't have to arrange everything perfect. That allows me to be worshipful. It allows me to be still and know God. Correspondingly, when I recognize my humanity, my fallibility, then I know, and, and I'm not doing it in a way that's self-critical, but, but rather self-accepting. Self I know that I am able to take in and accept God's love. And I shared with you all that that was a journey for me. The overachiever in me, and perhaps in many others here, is that it might at first feel uncomfortable. We like to hold on to things tightly might be uncomfortable to let go, but I have learned that by letting go and leaning into my faith, I really do experience a freedom and a lightening and that peace that is oftentimes elusive fills my heart. A second reason that I've come to believe in prayer, rather than simply allowing God to read our minds, so to speak, is that the exercise of prayer requires us to think about what we want to discuss with God. Oftentimes, if you ask people, what is it that you want, they have not thought about it sufficiently to be able to articulate their hopes and wants. God knows that if we spend time in prayer, it allows us to think things through with God. What do I want? What do I hope for? Is it right that this is something that I want? Prayer helps us to formulate our own thoughts so we can communicate them to God and then eventually, as needed, communicate them to others. I myself tend to think aloud. We extroverts talk, and then we think, and then we talk. So talking to God helps me to understand what it is that I think. For introverts, 
who think and then talk and then think some more, the time spent in prayer gives them the quiet solitude that helps them to discern what it is that they think. Just even knowing how my prayers are shaped by my personality makes me cognizant of the fact that there is no one right way to pray. We all have the freedom to pray as we see fit with the freedom and honesty of a child. Finally, I have learned that meaningful prayers include meditative periods of listening. As much as speaking to God, it's important to listen. Thy will be done helps a reforming type A person like myself who is endeavoring to yield that control to God and lean into faith. And you, in your unique relationship with God, other parts of the Lord's Prayer may be the most meaningful and important to you. That's one of the questions I've asked you to ponder in the bulletin today. So while there is no one right way to pray, I have found for myself that a spiritual discipline of praying first thing in the morning helps set a peaceful tone and intention for my entire day. Books from the bestseller list, uh, starting about 10 years ago with the publication of Miracle Morning, advise readers to set an intention for their day. And they recommend that we start our day in prayer or for those of us who are spiritual but not religious, in meditation. More recently, neuroscience has found that alpha waves in our brains are most active in the morning. And what we do in the morning actually programs our brains for what to look for and what to do for the rest of the day. So there's some strong science behind those God breezes that we feel and identify during our, our lives. Those of us who pray are more likely to experience God, which then leads us to pray more, which then leads us to experience God more. It's a little bit like, for those of you who are in my generation and can remember the Nancy Reagan war on drugs in the commercials where they would crack an egg on a frying pan and they would say, you know, here's the egg, this is your brain, and they'd crack it, and then on a sizzling frying pan, this is your brain on drugs, and that was our warning not to do drugs, right? If you do, if you make a similar analogy, this is your brain, and I want you all to picture just the gray matter in your brain. You know what a brain looks like. And then I want you to picture this is your brain on prayer, and your brain is lit up, and it is attuned to God's heartbeat. It is attuned to see that God is in the details. It attunes us to be aware of the everyday miracles in life. It gives us a sense of gratitude for all that God has granted us our daily bread and beyond. This is your brain on prayer. So first thing every morning, even before I get out of bed, I find that writing a prayer helps me to focus on God. It keeps that brain that's going 100 miles an hour, it slows it down, 
and it forces me to, to write. Sometimes my prayers are poetic, um, but oftentimes, mm -mm, no, my prayers just feel like I'm stretching to find God, even though I know that God is already there. When my youngest was in elementary school, he asked me, why doesn't God talk back to us when we pray? It's a good question. And my answer then is the same answer that I will share with you now. God speaks to us in a myriad of ways. God speaks to us through the beautiful music of worship and other kinds of music. God speaks to us through beautiful artwork. God speaks to us through words of wisdom that we hear. God speaks to us through the kind gestures of friends. And God speaks to us in the words of the Bible. Now that I've gone to divinity school and learned more about theology, I can also answer intellectually, um, citing the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which Kent told me none of you would, would, know, what they, would know what it was. <laughs> some, some of you will know what it is. But, um, John Wesley, who is our brother in Protestantism, founded the Methodist Church, said that there were um, four main areas, and I'm looking for those in my notes to make sure that I get them right. Um, the first is through our transcendental experiences, times in our life when we actually feel God in our hearts. The second is through the teaching of scripture, the third is through our sacred traditions, and many of you may be able to think of a time, a baptism, a wedding, a time when you were taking communion where you could feel God's presence very clearly in your heart. And the fourth is through our own God-given wisdom. So we feel these things, we know these things, we sense these things, we sense God. And it is our task to actually listen for God look for God, because God is all around. I wonder if the disciples, when they asked their question, were stretching like I do, because they wanted to feel God's presence the way that Jesus felt God's presence, always so connected with God. I think Jesus gives his disciples specific words to pray to comfort them. At this time, Jews would have been very accustomed to saying memorized prayer. Um, and I believe, like every good teacher does, Jesus gave his disciples a template. So in teaching them the words, he was teaching them and us how to think about prayer, starting with those very first words that encourage us to adopt the tone and the posture of a child. As I have come to know and understand God as a loving parent, I have relearned to speak in dialogue. Daddy, can you see what they're doing to me? Can you protect me? Can you shield me from that hurt? Mommy, things are not going so well right now. I really need you until I feel that sense of peace inside of my heart. Jesus also encourages us to play, pray with the relentlessness, not yet, <laughs> relentlessness of a child. 
If you have ever cared for a toddler when they want a snack, you know how relentless children can be. If you have ever gone into a toy store with a child, you know how relentless they can be as they pull on your shirt tails. I want that. I want that. I want that. And it is our role as their loving parents, their loving adults, to say, you can't have that right now because it's not safe for you at your age, or because we know that if they wait, something even better will come to them. Jesus says, knock and the door shall be opened to you. When we knock on a door, we do not simply tap once, right? We always tap a couple of times on the door. Even the joke is called a knock-knock joke. Knocking implies persistence. The Apostle Paul later instructs us, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I find this comforting because Jesus is saying it's okay to repeat myself, and my seemingly unanswered prayers might not be a no, but a not yet. Perhaps because I am a parent and I know how very much I love my children. I am comforted knowing that Jesus told me to pray to God as a parent. I can pray to God as a father, mother, parent, and that makes me a beloved child of God, part of a family. I'm invited to call God father, mother, and parent because I am entitled to have an intimate relationship with God. And I understand that best through the familial terms that we live in every day. Jesus draws this analogy as well in the book of Luke when he explains his answer to his disciples' question about prayer. Rhodes read this. Even you who are evil, and he was talking to his disciples, his chosen disciples, right? Even you who are evil, would you give your child who asks for a fish a snake instead? And as an aside, I certainly hope not because there is nothing that scares me more irrationally than snakes. But Jesus continues, if you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And this is not a question. If you look in the Bible, this ends with an exclamation point. I love this teaching that God is a loving parent. A parent who wants to be in relationship with us. Wants to give of God's self to us. That is the way that God answers every prayer. God gives us something better than the latest toy we're craving. God gives of God's self. Jesus promises that God, through the Spirit, will abide in us like a loving parent who will never abandon us and who loves us perfectly. This is the good news of the gospel. We are the beloved children of God who listens and answers our prayers.
Alleluia. Amen. My name is Mary McConnell. I've been a member for more than 50 years. I'm not going to tell you how much more. And I come to the United Parish because I meet God here every time I come. In the faces of our musicians, in our staff, in the words of the hymns, in conversations with children, and so many other ways. So I'm here today because I'm part of the discernment and engagement team. Our church has sort of an unusual structure. We believe that people should not be elected to everything, but they should actually have a choice of when they're moved to work on an area and when they're done with that and need to move on. That's what we call discernment. You make your decision in your prayers with God. So I'm here to talk to you about ways that you can have your voice heard. So when you come into our church, your church, our church, there may be an area that moves you to think more deeply. Maybe it's worship. Maybe you're sitting in the worship service thinking, I'd like to contribute some thoughts about worship. I wonder how to do that. Well, the way to do that is to look at our bulletin. So in the back of your bulletin, you'll see all of our ministry teams listed as gerunds. I think that's so interesting. I don't know of any other church that does that. So for worship, we call it exalting. And if you're interested in contributing an idea to exalting, to our worship, to not only church worship, just Sunday morning worship, but other times, if you want your voice heard there, then you could send an email to someone on that list. There's several emails under exalting. You could send it to any of those. Or you could talk to me um, or talk to one of the members of the staff. But you could have your voice heard there. If you have an idea or a desire about Sunday school, about how the children are taught, maybe you remember something powerful from your childhood in Sunday school, and you would like to contribute that to the people conversation about how our children are trained and uh, exposed to God's word, then the deepening area would be the place that you would go. So there's a lot of ways that your voice can be heard here in the United Parish. And when you're on a ministry team, as my friend Lisa says, when you're on a ministry team, your voice is heard louder. So think about it. Um, and just so you know that there are other people doing these things, have discerned that this is the place where they want to help and contribute their voice. If you're on a ministry team of any kind, would you stand up? 
on, come on, come on. Right, so there's a lot of people who are working on a lot of things. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, if you're a visitor here, your presence is gift enough. If you're a regular attender, we offer this opportunity to give back to the church. The ushers will now bring the offering. 